this morning we're continuing through this, this series looking at Romans chapter 12 and look at this issue of surrender. What does it mean to live life surrendered and what does it mean to live life surrendered to Him? And so we've been walking through these verses verse by verse and so this morning we're going to look at verses 9. Um, well, we're, gonna, we're not going to get through 21 but we're going to go as far as we can and then we'll finish this series next week when we look for the last time about how to handle relationships in our life. And basically, Paul was coming down in Romans chapter 12, and he began talking, he began talking about this issue of passion. And, and, and usually, when we listen to sermons, or we hear a sermon, or we hear someone talk about the issue of passion, usually their focus is, is, is how you and I need to get more passion, how we need to have more passion in our life. But you know what? When I look at life, and I look at people, and when I look at my life, I find out, you know what? The passion is there. All of us already got passion. The frustrating thing and the difficult thing is, is many times it's misdirected. I mean, we can get so excited that, that college football kicked off this weekend, and what a great deal. I mean, man, I stayed up late and watched football and ESPN and, you know, the whole deal and, and NFL starts and, you know, all this stuff. And the sad thing is, is some of us can have more passion for a football team than we can the Lord. And we can be more expressive in a football stadium or sports or a hobby or profession or anything. And Paul comes down and says, you need to be very careful about this issue of passion. And you need to understand what passion is. And so when I look at life, when I look at my life, man, I know the passion's there. But unfortunate that sometimes if we're not careful, it can be going to just be misdirected. And so this morning as we walk through this, we're going to look at the issue of passion. We're going to look at the issue of of just developing love for not only the Lord but for one another. Verse 9 in Romans chapter 12 says this. Paul starts off and he just simply says, he says, love must be sincere. Now that is so interesting because uh, the New American Standard would say it like this. Love must be without hypocrisy. In other words, the word love in the Greek, sincere, means this, without mask. In other words, your love, if you want to have true passion, if you want, your love has to be genuine. Your love has to be sincere. Your love has to be with, wow, your love has to be without a mask. See, if you're not careful, that even in your relationships of love, you wear a mask. And some of us have worn a mask for so long, we don't even know we're wearing a mask. And we can get frustrated with people because they don't love us for who we are but we've never allowed them to see us for who we are. See, and the scripture talks about this issue about being willing to take off a mask. See, a hypocrite in their culture was a play actor. It was a man or a woman, an actor that would, would come on stage and wear a mask and play a role and play a part and then go off stage and simply change mask and come back on and play a different role. See, it's being the same person but playing multiple roles. And Paul is saying this, that if you're going to have relations in relationships, if you're going to have genuine love and passion in relationships, then you've got to come to the part to where your love is genuine, your love is sincere, to where you understand how to speak the truth in love. There's so many people, boy, that are good at the truth part. They don't know how to speak it in love. And learning how to speak the truth in love 
And if you're not careful, you can lose the passion you have. It could be misdirected. Uh, Friday afternoon, I did a wedding on the Riverwalk. It was just one of those awesome weddings that we, uh, that we did on the Riverwalk. We did it near, I, I think that's Victoria, where the falls are, the lake, and then, you know, the falls, and we're on that side. And so we stood at the falls. I was there with the groom and the wedding party. And then instead of walking down the aisle, you know, the bride deal, she, she and her bridesmaids and, and maid of honor rode the boat down. I mean, it was one of those awesome deals. I mean, it was, it was just an awesome deal to see the boat coming and people are again gathering around and waving and, you know, music's playing and all this stuff. And, 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 and I watched the groom. He never took his eyes off of her. He didn't even know anyone else existed. He didn't even know anyone else was there. And you know what? If you and I aren't careful in relationships, whether it's marriage or other relationships, passion can be misdirected in relationships. Where you no longer look at each other the same way. You're not even aware if they're in the same room with you. And Paul is saying this issue of passion, man, it must be sincere. It must be real. It must be transparent in your life. And then he goes a little bit deeper and watch this. He moves on and he starts a negative with a positive and he says, he says, and you need to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. You need to hate what is evil and be married. You need to be wedded. You need to be welded. You need to be one with what is good. And so he says, the first thing is, is this, is it, is it not only has to be genuine, it not only has to be sincere, but he talks about this issue of being able to hate what is evil and love what is good. And, and when passion is misdirected in life, Boy, we love what is evil, and we hate what is good. And we get that verse backwards, and we don't understand that verse, and Paul is saying, you know, well, you've got to come to the point. See, so many times, even as believers, we hate sin, but boy, we'll let, us, let it entertain us. Whether it's a movie, whether it's a TV show. And Paul says, you've got to come to the point. You understand this issue to where you hate what is evil and you cling to or you're welded with or wedded with. Boy, what is good. And when you look in the Greek about that word hate, it means to push away, draw away from. It means as a believer that you walk in purity to the point that you, you pull away from, you draw away from things that are evil. And I know there's a lot of people who say God is love, and, and if you're a person of love, that you'd never be against anything, but that's just absolutely not true. Man, for love, there has to be boundaries. For love, there has to be truth. And you know why God hates evil? It's because it hurts people. Man, the biggest sin in Scripture for me I don't know about you, but for me, the biggest sin in Scripture, every time I read it, I have the same emotions, I have the same feeling. You know what it is? It's when Judas, after being with Jesus for a little bit over three years, when the Scripture says that Judas betrayed Christ with a kiss. 
I, I mean, every time I read that, and it literally breaks my heart. And the same thing happens today. That people will betray one another with a kiss. Bless you. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is just church. Someone should say it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kira. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> but for me, I mean, when I look at that scripture that Judas man, betrayed Christ with a kiss and they'd been together, had a relationship, and he knew him, how hurtful was that? And Judas didn't even feel good about himself, right? I mean, Judas went out and hung himself. No one feels good about themselves. Whether you're one that did the betraying or whether you're one that was betrayed. And Paul is saying that, man, your love must be sincere. It must be without hypocrisy. It must be real to where you're, 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 able, you're able to take the mask off. Listen, a superficial relationship is when you, you, you don't take the mask off. If you go to a dinner party with your wife and you make a comment and, you know, everyone else laughed and she didn't, you know, oh, man, this is not good. So on your way home in the car, you look at your wife and you say, hey, are you okay? And she says, fine, I'm fine. <laughs> See, what Paul was saying, love has to be genuine. Love has to come to this point to where you speak the truth and love to you where you're able to say, you know what? A superficial relationship is acting like it didn't bother me, it's okay. A deeper relationship without mask is coming to the point where you say, hey, that hurt. That was out of bounds. See, whether we like to talk about it or not, but there were some things that God hates. Fact is, Proverbs tells us there's seven things that God dislikes, that God hates. And I told you the reason that he hates evil, the reason that he hates that is because it hurts people, it destroys people. Listen, there's some people that have been betrayed with a kiss and they'll never be the same. And they carry that hurt and they carry that pain and as a result of it, if they don't find healing in their life and healing in Christ, they'll never trust anybody ever again. Because that's the reason a lot of people don't take masks off. That's the reason a lot of people just aren't honest in life. Because down deep they're insecure. Down deep they have the fear of rejection. Down deep they have this fear that if you really knew me, you wouldn't accept me. But Proverbs says there's seven things that the Lord hates. Watch this. Let's just walk through those. First thing he says that he hates is, is he, hates a, uh, he hates haughty eyes. He hates someone with haughty eyes. Haughty eyes is this. Man, we've all experienced, we've all seen it. Haughty eyes is the eyes that someone has that when they look at you, you know they're judging you. You ever been around someone that they cut you with their eyes or they look at you with their eyes, they're, you're talking to them, you're saying something, and you know that they're looking down on you. You don't live up, you don't measure up to their standards, you don't live life like they do. And you can tell just by the look of the eyes, man, they don't think you're as good as them. Whether it's an education issue, whether it's, whether it's status, whether it's profession, whether it's career, whether it's sports, whatever. Haughty eyes. I mean, there's some people. Boy, there are some people that you can be around, and they just put you at ease. There are some people just by the look of the eyes. 
See, when I get to heaven, and everybody talks about who they want to see and what they want to see in heaven, you know what I want to see in heaven? I want to be able to look in the eyes of Jesus Christ. Just see his eyes. You realize he captured people's hearts with the look of his eyes. He healed people with the look of his eyes. He put people at ease with the look of his look at his eyes. I mean, he understood this issue. And then he goes on and says, you know what, a lion tongue. He says, I hate that because that hurts people. It divides people. It, it makes things difficult for people when you have someone that, because relationships, we know this, are built on trust. And if there's not trust, there's not a relationship. There's no foundation for a relationship. Because really and truly, some people will tell you, you know what, I'd love to pull off the mask. I'd love for them to really know who I am and what I feel. But you know what, I don't trust them. Now, let me tell you something. People that you're in relationship with, their name should be safe with you. Man, their name should be safe with you. But we've got to have people in relationships, and Paul is talking about this. Paul is talking about a context of church. Paul is talking about, about the body of Christ and, and the church and how important this stuff is. And then he goes on, and hands that shed innocent blood. Now, he's not talking about murder here. He's talking about people that destroy other people's reputations. I've watched husbands destroy the reputation of their wife with the buddies at work. Or I've watched wives destroy the reputation. And they're one flesh. They're one. And it may get a lot of laughs. But man, there's someone that doesn't think it's funny at all. And God is saying, you know what? I just hate people that shed innocent blood, people that destroy the relationship of or the reputation of. And in, in, isn't that interesting? He uses the word innocent. See, slander is the most damaging thing because you can never recover from it. You really can't. Slander is when you tell something that is not true about another individual to where the person that you told it to thinks of that person, they think less of that person. You ever been mad at people you've never met because of what someone told you? You ever judge someone because of secondhand information you never met them? And then you meet them and think, man, oh man, how was I wrong? I was so wrong. And God says, you know what? There's some things that I hate because it hurts people. It hurts my children. It hurts relations. We were created to be in relationships. We were created to have great passion. And we have that naturally. And then he goes on and he says, in a heart that devises wicked schemes. In other words, the person that makes plans to hurt someone. The person, person that devises wicked schemes. And we'll look at this next week, this issue of revenge. But here's the truth about revenge, and you know it. Revenge is never enough. Man, I've watched it through ministry. I've watched it through life. Man, revenge will never be. 
Revenge will always leave you wanting more. Man, I've heard people say, if I ever get to see them face to face, I'll tell them how I feel and blah, blah, blah. They get that meeting and they walk away and say, man, I wish I had said this. Or they didn't hurt near enough. And then he goes on and he says, feet that are quick to rush into evil. In other words, misdirected passion to where you end up loving what is evil and hating what is good and not clinging to what is good. And he says, he says I am against that. And then he goes on in a false witness who pours out lies. You realize this issue of reputation, this issue of what we say about other people, God takes it very seriously. And here's the deal. It hurts you more than it hurts them. We desire relationships. We desire intimate relationships. We desire to be in relationships where we can take off masks. And oh, when we, when we spread lies and we slander and we all do this, all this, all this other stuff, there is no trust. So nobody in their right mind is going to take off a mask, right? It, you, you have to be in a safe place. And then he says, a man who stirs up dissension among the believers, the brothers. In fact, is, Titus 3.10 is so serious about this. He says, you warn a divisive person once. You warn them a second time, and after that, you have nothing to do with them. Because they're just so divisive. They're so hurtful. They're so painful. And there are things that God dislikes, and there are things that God hates. And, but the deeper of a relationship that you and I have with him, the more we love what is, what is good and we hate what is evil. And then he, he goes on with a positive. He says, we not only got to learn how to hate what is evil, but we got to come to the point that we, we cling. We're welded to, we're wedded to. Boy, we cling to what is good. Man, the point is, is we must, well, we must reject sin without rejecting people. You can accept someone without accepting their lifestyle. You can accept someone without accepting their choices in life. And so many times we blur the lines. And scripture talks about this issue of understanding what it means to love someone and be genuine. The second thing that he would said is that true love, true passion is considered as someone else's niece. To where you come to the point and you realize, you know what, there's other people in this relationship other than just me. To where you come to the point and you're considered as someone, he phrased it like this, verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That's a, like, that's a family love. That's family relationships. It's, it's two words together. It means family relationships. It means in the body of Christ, we are family. Whether we like it or not. I mean, we are family and we, we, we love one another and we accept one another. Listen. I've been around church most of my life. I've heard a bunch of the cynical sayings. I've heard a bunch of the stuff, as many of you have, uh, other churches that I've been in. I've heard people actually say, you know what? I don't like that person, but I love them in the Lord. As if you can separate your human emotions from your spiritual emotions. When someone says, you know what? I really don't like that person, but I love them in the Lord. You know what they're saying in a Christian way? I hate their guts. But I just know that Jesus wants me to love them. So I'll say, I don't have to like them. You've heard that, right? I don't have to like them, but I, but I have to love them. <laughs> what is that about? It's coming to the point to understand 
that we are one. We are a family. Listen, Paul was talking to, to there in, in Romans and he was saying, if a church gets this, if a church can understand this, that love is genuine, love is real, lo love is, is considered as someone else, love understands that we're in this together, we're a family. And the ESV would say, learn to outdo each other in appreciation. Learn to outdo people in, in affirmation. He says, be quick to, man, be quick to honor. Compliment them. When was the last time you complimented someone around you? When was the last time you encouraged someone? When was the last time you just told someone thank you for something? You know what? Never, never, and I can very seldom say that in ministry, never have I had someone come to me in ministry and say, you know what, Pastor? What I need in my life is less encouragement. I've got way too many people around me just encouraging me and just... just and I find quite the opposite. People are coming to me and say, I just wish someone appreciated me for what I do. I just wish once I would get a thank you. I just wish once I would get a, I just wish once I would get a, a compliment. Man, I, I, I'm just telling you, God could do great things through a people group who doesn't care who gets the credit. So we're just quick to honor, quick to compliment, quick to encourage. Third thing he says, he says about this issue of love, this issue of passion, is it's contagious. I don't know if you know that, but if, if you're around someone that's passionate about something, even if you don't like it, you can get caught up in it. I mean, nothing great in leadership is ever done without passion. Now, you don't have to be loud. You don't have to be boisterous. You don't have to be an extrovert. I mean, this enthusiasm, our word enthusiasm comes from two Greek words, in theos which simply means in God. It's not being loud. It's not being boisterous. It's being passionate. Watch this. Verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, passion, enthusiasm, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. In other words, be, have your passion that is directed in the right places. In other words, you serve God with great passion. Nobody follows anybody without that leader having great passion or enthusiasm. In a church, when a church has enthusiasm and they get involved in the community, it's always an exciting place to be. But listen, when a church loses its enthusiasm, apathy sets in. They just don't care. And the same thing will happen in your life. You can become very apathetic to some things. And then he said, boy, you just got to have passion. I never will forget before I started playing golf, some would say I still don't play golf, but I try. <laughs> before I was playing, started playing golf, I, I made fun of golfers in church. I did that quite regularly back then. And so I made a joke and says, hey, last night I noticed that they now got poker on TV when I was channel surfing. And I says, I can't believe that. I says, I guess, I guess they put poker on TV for all the people that think watching golf on TV is way too exciting. So I thought, like, that was hilarious. What happened was I offended a golfer in our church that was very passionate about golfing. And so after church, he grabbed me and said, hey, if you're going to make fun of us, you're at least going to hit a bag of balls. And he took me out to the driving range, gave me a nine iron, gave me some lessons, and, and I was hooked and got caught up in it. 
and now like I'm watching the Golf Channel and all this other stuff. And, and, and in fact, it was two Father's Days ago, uh, the, the golf tournament was on. I can't even remember which, but it went into, it went into extra, extra uh, not innings, extra, extra holes, I guess. I don't know. It went to playoff. And my wish for Father's Day was that my whole family would watch golf with me. Oh, yeah, they were excited <laughs> until they got caught up in my passion. And before long, we were all cheering Rocco Mediate on and, and all those other guys. And, I mean, they were, there's something about, listen, the reason a lot of us have trouble attracting people to Christianity, we have no passion. We're not even passionate about it. They don't even see the enthusiasm. In our, and here's the interesting thing about this verse. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Wow, serving the Lord. Not people. It's interesting. Remember. Remember, keep your spiritual fervor. The way you do it, Scripture is great. Scripture not only tells you what to do, but it tells you how to do it. That's the great thing about Scripture. It does, just doesn't tell us a bunch of stuff to do and then just kind of hangs us out there. No, it tells us what to do, and then it tells us how to do it. And he says, the way that you keep your spiritual fervor, the way you keep your passion, understanding you are serving the Lord, not people. If you get that messed up in your life, if you think you're serving people, human love wears out. If you think you're serving people, they will never respond back to you the way that you think they should. And you will wear out with enthusiasm and love and passion because somehow you've misdirected it. Somehow you think you're serving people. Oh, no, you're serving the Lord. Colossians 3.23 was the first verse that I ever memorized in Scripture. And this, the Scripture says this, Whatever you do, man, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, passion, enthusiasm and then he says as working for the Lord not for men the reason we have a lot of anger in relationships and frustration is because when we don't get the response back from people that we think we should, that's all anger is. Anger is just unmet expectations. That's all it is. And he said, remember. Boy, remember. You're serving the Lord. And he goes on later in, in Colossians and says, for it is the Lord who rewards you, not men all the way through my engineering career, that verse was on my desk. It is he who rewards me, not men. Men don't control my future. Men don't control my destiny. So many times we give people way too much power in our life. Leighton Ford was Billy Graham's brother-in-law. And Leighton Ford made contact, and he always wanted to meet Mother Teresa. He had one question he wanted to ask her. And so he asked that if he could travel to Calcutta, sit down with her, could he, meet, could he interview her? And she said, sure. So Leighton Ford went to Calcutta. He sat down with her, and he asked her this question. He says, Mother Teresa, how is it that you've been able to serve at the most 
in the most poverty-stricken conditions in Calcutta, the poorest of poor conditions, the most difficult conditions. You have served here long enough. You could choose any place in the world. You could retire. You could get out of this. How have you been able to keep your joy? Why do you stay here? And here's what she says. I'll quote. She says, we do our work for the Lord and with the Lord and to the Lord. And she understood that, you know what, I'm not serving people. Boy, I'm serving the Lord. And regardless if you respond to me the way that, you, that I think you should, and it doesn't matter. Chuck Swindoll said that his dream in church, that he would have so much passion for God that if he showed up on a Sunday to preach and nobody else showed up with him, that he'd preach the same message with the same passion, with the same conviction. Because he understands he's living his life for the audience of one. See, the reason we struggle so many times is we're living life for the audience of many. And we begin putting on masks. And we can do it for so long that we don't even know we're wearing masks. And we can develop frustration and anger because nobody really knows us. And you know what? We don't even know ourselves anymore. Because we've misdirected our passion. Last thing that he tells us is he says, love is positive and patient and prayerful. Verse 12, be joyful in hope, be patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. And so he has three things. We're not going to get through all of these this morning. And, but, but here's just the first one. We'll just do the first one. How's that? So be positive. Be joyful in hope. I mean, you like hanging around negative people? <laughs> I mean, negative people, people that all, can always find something wrong with something are not a lot of fun to be around. But there's something about people who are positive. And you know what? We live in a, a downturn in the economy, maybe some of the most difficult times economically in our country, some of the most uncertain times in our future, and yet Christians should still be positive. Man, our world is hungry for hope. They just want someone to help them understand hope. They're hungry for joy. They're hungry for encouragement. Watch the news. Read the paper. See what's going on in our world. See the emptiness of people in our world that are searching for something. And Christians should have hope like no other. Romans 8, I live in that chapter. And Paul begins in Romans chapter 8 to say, this is the reason why Christians should have hope. Verse 1, he says this, there is therefore now no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, let me tell you something. If you are in Christ, if you have a relationship with Him, if you know Him as your Lord and Savior, Scripture says this, no more guilt, no more condemnation. You can live life, your, your past can be forgiven, that He loves you. There, man, God is not up there condemning you. There is therefore no condemnation in those who are Paul's favorite term 156 times in the New Testament, he uses the phrase, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That was his favorite phrase for believers, people that are in Christ, that are hidden in Christ, that are forgiven. Verse 2, he says, 
Through Christ, the law of the Spirit has set me free from the law of sin and death. Your passion no longer has to be misdirected. Man, He has set you free. He has set me free from the bondage of the past, from the bondage of my sin. I don't have to have passion that is misdirected. I don't have to love evil. I don't have to live life. Man, the bondage of the past that He has set you free. No condemnation. He set you free. Verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. If you ever gone through a crisis, you ever gone through a problem in your life, you didn't even know what to pray. You didn't even know what to say. It was hurtful. It was painful. Do you know the Scripture says it is in those moments that the Holy Spirit prays for you? Do you realize you are on God's prayer list? That in those moments of weakness, in those moments of crisis, in those moments when you think nobody else knows, nobody else cares, God would say, I do. And it's in those moments that I pray for you. Verse 28, we know that all things work for the good of those who love him, who have been, a called, who have been called to the... To, according to his purpose. And let me tell you something. I have gone through deep hurt and deep pain in my life. I've been betrayed by a kiss. I've been hurt. I've been devastated to the point that I didn't know if I wanted to go on. And I'd never want to live through those situations ever again in my life. But I'm telling you, this good has come out of those situations in my life. Man, I know that I have a deep need for God. And I know that I have a deep need of Him in my life because left to my own, my passion would be misdirected. And some of you may have gone through some hurtful, painful situations in your life. But God can bring good out of bad if you'll let him. You know, you know when I knew I was over my past? Is when my past worked for me and not against me when my past became part of my testimony of what God has done in my life. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has set you free from the law of sin. He prays for us in our weakness. And even the bad stuff that happens to us, God is the only one that can bring good out of it. Verse 31, what then shall we say in response to this? If, if God is for us, who can be against us? Scripture never promised as a believer that nobody would be against you. You just got to understand that. There's some Christians that think when I come to Christ, it's going to be great. No, Scripture never said. He never said there will not be anybody who is against you. But here's his promise. Even if there are people who are against you, I am for you. And if I am for you, 
How can anybody be against you? Man, see, when you understand that, man, I'm living, I'm living for the audience of one and I'm living for him, then people no longer have the power and the control over you that they once did. Because you understand that, you know what? Even if people are against me, and God is for me. See, so many people look at God that he's up there judging them and condemning them. And Scripture says just the opposite, verse 31, 32. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God loved us enough to send Jesus Christ to the cross to die for us. We couldn't live a life perfect enough to go to heaven without him. That was a problem that we all shared that we all had. Our biggest problem was forgiveness of sin so we could go to heaven so we could have a relationship with God. That was our biggest need. Listen, verse 32. If God took care of your biggest need in life, can he take care of the other stuff? God's already taken care of the biggest problem in your life, the thing that you could not do for yourself. I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or demons neither present nor the future nor any powers nor any height or depths nor anything in all of creation <laughs> so cool will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. When you're in Christ, you're in Christ. That's why Paul liked the term. That's why I like the term. I'd much rather refer to myself as in Christ. And then he says, and guess what? When you're in Christ, Nothing, no person, no relationship, not even yourself can separate you from the love of God as you walk with Him, as you stay in relationship with Him. See, the issue is not that whether we have passion or not, we have passion. The issue is, where are you directing your passion? 